Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand. However you found us, we're glad you're here as we get behind the scenes with the folks at the Pursuit Spirits brand. And oh, what a time to be on the line. Guys, welcome back to the show during bottling week. Dun, dun, it's a big dun, dun, week. Dun. It is. It's a big week. I know. It started at you know, 4.30 this morning. It was awesome. The stress continues throughout the day, but I am finishing it as as we we're sitting down here. I was like, okay, we're going to start recording. It's actually popped open. I started drinking a single barrel that's going to be bottled this week, which was the R Bourbon Reddit, which is a Finger Lakes Rye, which is that one that was oh so like episode eighteen that we all liked. Oh, I do mm-hmm. like that one. Yeah, I haven't I haven't tried that single barrel. I because I, I hit them all from you because I know what happens if you have your <laughs> hands on them. They don't they don't make their way out to market. Nope, just get. Stuck in my library of random things. See, when samples are coming in, got a samples getting out, I got people like, I need your logo, I need show notes, I got to get these things out the door. Now I feel like I need to pour that so I can drink that while we're recording. Wait okay. a minute, you got one and I didn't? Uh, there's only a half a liter in this bottle, so at some point you're going to have to try and get yourself some over here and share it. But we'll be bottling this week, and I know at the end of it, you know, there's always uh, quote-unquote bottles that go into archive. And so those those archive bottles are the ones we we split up and we keep into possession that ends up somehow going into a pursuit palooza, which who knows at some day might end up at a a tasting bar near you. And I think that'll be a fun thing to as we kind of talked about as clear thing is you know what what could that potentially be in the future and and what things do we really find interesting? Ryan, this smells so good. <laughs> Uh, I wish you were You're here to try this right now. It's way better than what's in my glass right now. Water, <laughs> just rehydrating. Had a lot of samples today during, during bottling week. Got to make sure it's good. Got to put quality control. That's what it was today. Quality control. So I would like to, I'm not going to do it now, but I know it would be nice and pressing and around the time to start talking about bottling. And, and we'll probably get back around to, to this maybe in the near future. But I wanted to kind of pull away from diving deep as we've been doing with things with the brand and maybe with problems that have come up. And while we were down in Bargetown, as I was driving down to Bargetown, and I was thinking about folks who come into Louisville and I see them kind of walking around town, they've booked a couple of places in town, but they always ask me, oh, where should we go? And a lot of those distilleries I'd recommend are out towards Lawrenceburg or they're out towards Bargetown. And it got me wondering what type of of visitor experiences, what type of things are drawing people to these cities, to these towns? What what are what are really bringing people out, and what are they looking for in their experience? I thought maybe we could open this up and talk about it a little bit. I know that we know that there's this big bump in bourbon tourism, and that's a big thing with Bargetown Bourbon Company that they talk about and. You know, you see the ways that they've done things with the restaurants, with the bar experience, and seeing a lot of things. So I thought maybe we could just talk about the different things that we've encountered, maybe some of the experiences that we've really dug, or talking to some hypotheticals of what would make for a really cool experience. And I hope that at the end of this episode, the listeners can shoot us a line and let us know what they like to hear and see at a visitor experience. Yeah, I'll I'll kind of start this off because you you first have to kind of look at the historical rates of what has the Kentucky Bourbon Trail been and what are the amount of numbers that people are seeing because if we roll back the hands of time and we look at 
five years ago. I mean, you, I think you were just maybe hitting uh, like over 750,000, maybe hitting a million people that were coming through for bourbon tours. And I believe as last year is when it started hitting maybe two and a quarter, potentially two and a half million people that are coming into Kentucky to go and just do the bourbon trail. And I look at this, and not only that, is they're projecting, I think, Ryan, what you're saying here in the next five years, that's going to even double that potentially five to seven million people a year coming to the bourbon trail. That's what we, that's what I've been told that if you include Buffalo Trace, who's not on the official bourbon trail, uh, yeah, you're going to be looking at around 5 million tourist visits per year, which is on par with what Napa is doing currently out in the wine region. So we're in a pretty advantageous spot as well, because being in the middle of kind of Midwest top Southern, I don't know what you would call Kentucky, but we're in a very drivable distance to a lot of States and a lot of surrounding areas. If you were to do a, a radius mark from here in Louisville, all the way to Chicago and kind of just did a circle, like that is a, that's an easy drivable distance of what, four hours, five hours between anybody. And you can, you yeah, can basically five to seven hours. It's yeah. there's a lot of good cities. I mean, yeah. And so that's an easy way to kind of kill three to four days. And so it's a, it's a really good place to go. And now that bourbon is kind of a hot thing, people are really getting into it. And we know that people are starting to ramp up production everywhere, but on the tourism side, I want to look at it and kind of look at what is really driving people here. And of course, I, I feel that the first one is you look at what heritage distilleries are building and what the kind of experiences that they've built. And they've kind of really led the way. Gosh, who was it we had on the on Bourbon Pursuit a long time ago? I can't remember. I have to go back and, and look who it was. But she was a quality control person at Heaven Hill. What Heaven Tawny? Hill was. Tawny, Tawny, thank you. I yeah, should yeah. have remembered that. It, she was talking about what it was like when she first started at Heaven Hill and she said that a bus would just show up or people would show up and they would look around and say, is there anybody that can just take these people on a tour? And they would just walk them through the facility and that was it. And you got, I don't know, 20 people a day or, or something like that. And that has definitely grown and surpassed since then. And so we've seen this really take a monumental shift in, in regards of how people are going and, and they're experiencing things. But when you look at the grand scheme of of what these heritage distillers are doing, and I think what people are really coming to see is the story. They're looking for that history. They're looking to see where are, you know, where is their whiskey distilled? What does the property look like? And to be honest, probably the the people that do it the best are the ones that are not on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail is Buffalo Trace because the amount of history, the types of tours, the things to see there, I think they they surpass a lot of people when it comes to the that type of experience that it's really this, I want to say raw organic, but it's definitely a way that they've taken the history that's been at that particular facility and location and really like like soften the edges to make it something that anybody could go and enjoy. Whether you're a bourbon drinker or you're just a history buff, you're going to be able to enjoy a, a tour there. Grown up around this stuff and seen like it all kind of evolve. Like, yeah, it used to be, there used to be like a little trolley bus that would drive people, you know, pick you up in Bardstown and like the center and they'd drive you like either Heaven Hill or Maker's Mark or something. And, uh, but Maker's was probably one of the first ones to really, like, you know, say, hey, we're going to embrace this because we're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and that's um, true. And it's beautiful. I mean, it's quintessential Kentucky, you know, beautiful property. But what I think really drew people there was the, 
you know, the story of the Samuels, but it was one of those first interactive uh, user experiences where you got to dip your own bottle or, or you got to be an ambassador and put your name on a barrel and go see it in the Rick or whatever, you know, or, you know, Heaven Hill was kind of that second big name to kind of, you know, start with their heritage center. And even though it was kind of nice, but it still wasn't, it was like a video and, you know, you got to see like the warehouses and some of the bottling if you want to, but, and you got to taste whiskey in a bucket, you know. Was, <laughs> Wait, what do you mean you got to taste whiskey in a bucket? <laughs> Tell me more about this. I know I've been there before. I don't remember tasting. Well, you know, well, bucket. it's like it's not a bucket. I guess it's a barrel. Like you know, oh, like where you actually sit. I got yeah, you. yeah. I, I was in you that were, circle barrel, you were like taking a solo cup and just dipping a bunch of whiskey out of mm-hmm. a bucket. Yeah, and uh, and Jim Beam really never embraced it till later on, but uh, who's really I think elevated and made it. KDA has really been a pioneers and push this um, bourbonism thing to a next level. But Barstown Bourbon Company was the first ones to say, hey, we're not just like a lame tour. You come in, we're going to do a restaurant, bar, you know, have a really upscale environment somewhere where you can just come hang out all day. Like, I mean, Buffalo Trace is great from historical, like educational piece. But other than that, it's boring. There's like nothing to do. Like you you, you can't like well, you go hang, for a tour you hope you, you hope there's blantons at the yeah. end of it and then you go home you don't like get to hang out at the property you don't like there's no like food or rest sometimes they have food trucks i think that may be changing but there's no like bar or cocktails or this or that it's just pretty generic type stuff great tours great education piece but if you've been on a million tours it's kind of like okay um you know let's go do something different but uh people that have really that are seeing success now are the ones that are focusing on um, how can we lengthen the stay of the consumer and really have them embrace our property and, and uh, hang out and enjoy, uh, you know, the distillery and all it has to offer, not just get them in and out of the tour as fast as possible. That's true. Cause you kind of take a lot of that stuff. I know you've talked about Napa and visiting there a few times and, you know, you buy a bottle of wine, you, there's a band on the patio and you're there for an hour before you realize it. You're on a you're in a wine club list, and then it's on to the next one. Exactly, yeah. And it's a formula for success. You know, you you pay for a tasting. It's like fifteen or twenty bucks for a tasting, but they'll waive your tasting fee if you buy a bottle. And then you're like, well, so I might as well buy a bottle. And there's a great <laughs> band. And then you're like, well, I might as well join the wine club too. So it's you know we're slowly getting into that here in Kentucky where we can do clubs and memberships and shipping and whatnot. But uh, Napa really has helped bourbon tourism. Gave us the map of like how to really enhance the user visitor experience. It was a, it was a cheat code. That's what it is. The, the, Konami, <laughs> it's the Konami code for anybody, old gamers out there. But when I look at sort of where those are and you look at the, the, the heritage distilleries and what they've done, everything that and it is, it's, it's mostly the heritage distilleries, why people come here. You're talking, you're, we just talked about Heaven Hill, Will It. Uh, Barton that used to be there, what preservation, and then you go a little bit to the west, and you've got uh, in Four Roses, you've got Jim Beam, you've got Wild Turkey. All these places are ways that you can, and Buffalo Trace. Don't be wrong. Ways that you can go and look at a distillery and the way that it's created. You get the fifty-one percent corn tour where. 
we always say that that's the one where as most basic as basic can get as people that have never been introduced to bourbon whatsoever. That's where we're going to go and like, oh, go ahead and feel the grains. This is what we go and we put it through our miller and then it goes into the, the silo and then it, you know, then it goes into the holding tank. Then it goes in the masher and the cooker and all this other kind of stuff. You can stick your finger in it and lick it. Yeah. It's, and it's, and it's like, I, I think that's cool to a degree. And, and I think if you are definitely getting into bourbon or you've never seen it before, it's, it's very valuable. You have to have that. It's, it's an educational experience. But I think that the one thing that we've always said and I feel this way very strongly is that it's going to be very hard for somebody to go and make a whole weekend out of going to say like six of these spots and you're going to be going, oh my God, I feel like I'm regurgitating the same information over and over and over again because after the third one, you understand the process of how whiskey is made. At no point is this a proprietary process that all of a sudden they're like, oh, no, 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 don't see... What's behind here are our, our still and these plates. These are magical. These are magic plates. This is, makes our whiskey great. It's not that at all. I mean, there's you get you're going to get some kind of like burnout after it, and so there has to be this sort of angle of like what is different or what makes it unique. Like how can you get more out of your experience? And that's really kind of what I want to find. And when you start looking at what has happened in Louisville, I really see this as the kind of like the next resurgence and the next great generation of tourism is that you don't have to go to Lawrenceburg. You don't have to go to Bardstown. Everything is within walking distance of downtown. If you're staying there, you've got Peerless, you've got Angel's Envy, you've got Michter's, you've got Old Forester. Uh, I'm sure there's a few that I'm Evan probably, Williams. Evan Williams. I mean, there's, there's a few that are around there and you get a different experience everywhere. I think Evan Williams was probably the first one that was there and their tour is unlike anywhere else it almost felt like you're going in this sort of like holographic maze. And it almost, it's like a, it's like a science center for adults where you kind of see the, uh, the projections on the wall. And then all of a sudden the curtain pulls back and there's their one still that makes one barrel a day. And, you know, they're super proud of it. And I think there's like this, this kind of like Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory sort of vibe when it comes to it, but they have a very different experience than you would if you went anywhere else. Now, when you go to some place like Old Forester, honestly, I think that's one of the places they, it's kind of hard to beat because you get to see literally the entire experience from, <laughs> from mashing to distilling to raising a barrel. I think that's cool because they're the only distiller that owns their own cooperage. And so having a sort of mini cooperage facility tour that you can see there, you kind of, you see the whole gamut, even though you have to understand that is only... 5% of what their actual output is, is what you see happening there at their, you know, quote unquote, offsite distillery. But it gives the, uh, the, the user, the user, the visitor, a, a more uh, robust and kind of, uh, you know, immersive experience. And so, you know, I'll kind of pose it to you all as well as, you know, when you start looking at some of the experiences and the things that you've seen when you're going on tours, what have you liked what would you see different or what could be something that would make it completely unique uh, that nobody has done yet? Yeah, I'd be interested to hear Brian's <laughs> answers, answer first. Let's turn the table back on him. Well, one of the things that you, when you know, as you're talking about Napa, it just reminds me of someone who is local, not in Louisville, nor Lawrenceburg area, nor Bargetown, but, you know, seems to be doing this well. 
that also does wine, which happens to be Starlight or at Huber's here in town. Now, I say that because I'll plan to go there with my family in the morning and our plan is to pick strawberries, but we go there and you buy donuts or you walk through the market and then you hop on the thing and you go out and you pick your fruit and you come back and then there's a place for the kids to go and do this playground and then you might see Christian and he'll pull you and then you go into the Rick house and then you'll taste some stuff and you have to make up for leaving your wife with the kids. So you have to go find her some wine. So she's got to drink some wine. You end up with some blackberry slushies and all of a sudden there's somebody playing on the patio and you need some food and they're making pizza. And before you know it, it's 9 p.m. past the kid's bedtime and it's time to leave. And so they kind of do it all. But, you know, their brand there is is a lot bigger than than just bourbon. Well, I was going to ask you, I mean, do you feel that that's something that's missing across all these experiences? That it's uh, it's not just like a place that, that mom and dad goes to, but it's a family experience. From my personal experience, there are several distilleries that will say you know, kids are fine that they're there, but I didn't feel like there were, there's a whole lot where you can acceptably take your kids to Buffalo trace. And maybe it's because there isn't much else to do besides just go on this tour. That's pretty general public. And so we've, we've taken kids there before too. And I don't take the kids everywhere I go, but for people who are, who are conscious of that, you know, it might be limiting them to know where they can go. Something like Louisville, is kind of nice because you can get into all sorts of stuff. You know, the Evan Williams experience you're talking about is right across from the Science Center, actually. And so, you know, you can kind of hop next and do to a couple of the things. Slugger Museum. Right next yeah. to the Slugger Museum. So Louisville's really advantageous for that because it, it provides a lot of things where some of these other areas don't. But kind of going back to what you're saying, I don't know that I necessarily think about that all the time. I got an idea. Sorry. Yeah. I interrupt you real quick. So if we're like, okay, we need something for kids. What if they're in you you go to these these distilleries and these these tours and there's always like I know I've seen it a bullet they do it Angel's Envy is they've got like the drawers or they've got this whole like thing filled with all the grains of the corn the rye the whatever and you can kind of like you know just get that sensory feel so what if there is kids swimming pools full of grains that they could just play in for like 30 minutes while the kids or while the adults just went out there and and kind of did a tour it's like the it's like the t-rex cafe at disney (laughs) digging for fossils you know yeah Yeah. just check them in like it's ikea right and just have them have some stranger watch them say you take them to the grain swimming pool so we can go drink (laughs) don't see any problems with that whatsoever (laughs) like your kid's not allergic to hay or anything right like all right we're fine you know i've taken my family to barstown bourbon company several times jim beam's very family friendly Probably wouldn't will it. The menu's a little eccentric. Uh, I don't know if I can give my kids cashews and uh, egg salad sandwiches and whatnot. But uh, those those two other places are definitely uh, family friendly. But I, I it, you know, it's it's difficult for me because I love people coming to Bardstown and even the Frankfurt Lawrenceburg area because Central Kentucky is such a beautiful region of the country where you have rolling hills, knobs, farmland horse farms, whatnot. And two, you get to see like that historical, like where whiskey was really, or bourbon was really like, you know, laid its foundations. But Louisville is so convenient, you know, to get around. Like, you know, if you're, I remember when Sean from Mint Julep Tours, we interviewed him a long time ago. 
And they're like, yeah, we're going to start this bourbon trail. And he's like, well, how are people going to get from Louisville to Makers to Heaven Hill to there? And they're like, well, we're going to give them a map. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? You're going to send people drinking all day and give them a map? You know? <laughs> and uh, so it, it is, you know, and there's not a lot of lodging in Bardstown or Lawrenceburg. or It it's just hasn't met hospitality that Louisville has. There's a ton of great hotels, ton of great restaurants. And two, you know, you, you can really like Victor's is a great example where like if you want to learn about bourbon, you can, but it's kind of, you don't have to, and you can go up to their bar and really go and enjoy like all their expressions or all their great cocktails. Like that's what's exciting to me. I really like the experience outside of the tour, I guess, because the tour, like you said, after you do one or two, it's like, it's the same thing. So what, who's going to offer like the most intimate experience where you can connect with that brand, you know, have a great cocktail, have a great conversation with someone at the, at the bar or restaurant. And it's like, how can you recreate those special moments? And I think the ones who are doing that are, they're all sold out right now, you know? And so it's, they're all doing good, I guess. So (laughs) do you find again, because you've grown up in this, you've been around it the whole time. Do you think it's a disadvantage if somebody comes in and they mainly stay in Louisville, you know, to, to, to kind of get their experiences downtown instead of stretching out. And I say this too, because, you know, as we've seen take place legally or in the law, however you want to say that, you know, these sort of kind of satellite uh, areas for distilleries, I assume that we're going to start seeing those pop up more. And I think while, Maybe some of the draw were to go out into other places to reach people that don't have easy access. I think that also will just turn a lot of that to centralized locations like Louisville or other big cities. If that were to be the case, do you think that's going to be a bit of a loss for the the bourbon industry just because of the lack of going to where it's done? No, I don't think so. I think it's like going to Napa and staying and just going to drink wine in San Fran, you would never do that. I think having a location in downtown makes sense because there's a ton of conventions. There's a lot of people visiting for, you know, UofL athletics or volleyball tournaments, going to the Slugger Museum. There's just so much going on, you know, outside that I think you can really, as a bourbon brand. literally passing through Spaghetti Junction on your way up to Indianapolis or something. Yeah. Sure. It's wise of bourbon brands to cap you know, capture that audience. But I think your core bourbon fans are going to still want to go because it's, I mean, the, the ones in old forester probably does the best of, you know, replicating a distillery, like a working distillery. The other ones are cute and look good and they look nice and shiny, but you know, the, the, the true like intimate, I think experiences are out, you know, out in Bardstown, Lawrenceburg, Frankfurt, Whitford, you know, all that stuff. So I think there's, I think there's opportunity for both really. And I think brands are going to need both. Yeah. I feel you're, you're onto something there only because you can't replicate a distillery downtown other than Peerless because that is the distillery, but you can't really replicate the entire function that goes on from soup to nuts in a small area downtown, but you do need to cater to where the people are. And that is also giving the ability to sort of widen your footprint because if people don't know about your brand and you're often, you know, somewhere and let's just take Wilderness Trail, for example, they're starting to make a name for themselves. But if they had a location probably close towards downtown, they would probably start killing it a lot more through 
the people that don't know them as well. They're yeah. pretty well known in uh, whiskey circles, but if they had something that was a little bit more of that presence, then they'd be they'd be doing uh, probably gangbusters. However, part Anvil's of this is probably one of the the more inconvenient places to drive to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like exactly. it's not on your way to anything. <laughs> but you know, and I kind of think about that, and I start figuring out. You know, what would what would an experience for Wilderness Trail look like if they had something here? And that thinks of, like, what would, even if we had something, what would that experience look like, too? And trying to figure out what can you deliver that either people aren't doing already, or what can you deliver that doesn't require people that, you know, needs to see the distillation process? Do we go under the assumption that when people come to a facility like that, where you don't have the whole 51% corn tour that you already have been through that like you're at you've already done the 100 maybe the 101 level you're ready to go to uh a 102 you think that's like it's a good way to start to say like we're not going to take we're not going to not going to say we're not going to take the beginner crowd but we will we will amplify the education experience up to the next level I, that's tough cuz you do probably you know in these urban cities especially Louisville or say like you're in Covington up by Cincinnati with New Riff you know, you're going to have a lot of people who probably aren't necessarily educated, you know, on the bourbon sphere. Well, I look at this because of, because if, if I think of a space like that, where you can't necessarily fit in a, a whole distillery, because at this point, everybody's got a distillery. So if, if, if you have filet mignon every night after a while, no, filet mignon doesn't taste any good. But at, if you do that, you're not necessarily always going to be the first place that somebody comes and visits. And if you're coming here for a, a weekend or passing through or something like that, odds are uh, something like that is not going to be the the first place you're going to go, but it might be the second, third, or fourth, or fifth place. And therefore, you've already had that 100 or 101 level education. And so maybe you, it is a good time to start introducing that 102 level. And so you don't necessarily need to get all the newbies in on day one and try to say like, oh, what is bourbon? Oh, this is what it means. I think that's that's probably where you go ahead and, and work off the assumption that people already have the, the the base foundation. So you focus less on the story, but more on the whiskey. Is that, is I, that what you're saying? I think. So. I mean, I think that's a good way to look at it. I think. Well, don't be wrong. There's always a story that has to be told, any way that you look at it. But it's it's just the whiskey education in general. Because if somebody's going to come to a place that either we built or anything like that. I don't feel that we're going to be able to sit there and say, let me guide you through how bourbon is made because nobody's coming to a pursuit spirits destination thinking I'm going to get my 100 level here. Like this is something I, I feel that people are going to come in with a immediate base knowledge because they're not going to, because we're not old Forrester. We're not Michters. We're not these, these national known brands, but instead we're the ones that kind of get the, uh, you pull up Google Maps and you're like, what else is around here? Oh, what's this? Okay, cool. We'll go check this place out. Do you think there might be an interest in, though, a 101 on the sourced whiskey market? Like, like not just here's how bourbon's made, but here's how you go acquiring and starting your own brand. Or do people Are not care? Are you trying to introduce more competition? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, that's... I feel that, that there is... I don't think you should go to the extent that says, let's show you the recipe in the playbook on how you go and build your own brand. But instead, there is the opportunity to educate people and say, 
actually, I'm not going to say, here's all the list of brands on the wall that source all their whiskey, right? Like, you're not going to sit there and be like, it, it gives you an opportunity to say that there is this thing called the source whiskey market. This is how it works. We're not going to say what brands do it, but I can tell you right now, about 70 to 90% of the rye that you see on the shelves today isn't made by that distillery that you actually think that makes it. And and I, I think that is probably an okay time to not say, well, let's not go ahead and go ahead and poke at distilleries that are actually doing this. But instead, we can say there's a lot of places that you can do it. In fact, we do it. And this is who we're working with to be able to make this type of product happen. And we can say that we're unique in the fact that we actually talk about it, uh, where we get our stuff from, and we want to make that a part of the experience because it's going to enlighten you to another side of the industry that you've probably never heard or knew about before. You know, as we were talking about before the show, it's like, who are the sourced whiskey brands that have a visitor, you know, a visitor experience, you know, it's like, and how can you make a sourced whiskey brand, you know, like ours? I mean, selfishly, I think we're trying to use this to figure out how to make a unique visitor experience being a source whiskey brand, not having that shiny uh, manufacturing process of how we make the product. Uh, we don't, but, we don't have, we don't have time to get on the waiting list for a Vendome still. Yeah. But, but we can show you the process of blending. We can show you picking barrels, looking for different flavor profiles, mash pills, this and that. I'm just trying to think through things like that. We can, you could potentially offer folks. So that last one I feel is is kind of where we could really shine a light on it because let's think of every major distillery that you go to and you taste their product. What is it? It's one mash bill with maybe a different age and a different proof, right? That is, that is what and, every heritage distiller does. And so by being able to show a myriad of things of, I mean, that's what we do in all our products already. We show different mash bills from different dis distillates, different states, uh, at different proofs, at different times. I mean, well, there's a lot of things that we could do because you don't get stuck in this cycle of, well, uh, you know, we've got one mash bill. Let's figure out how we can make 42 different labels out of it. But instead, we can show this this huge, you know, variability on the scale of of rye whiskey to bourbon, weeded bourbon, high rye, low rye, it, that goes for rye and and bourbon. I mean, there's a, a whole things that you can you can show that gives people a a sort of I don't want to say sensory overload experience, but really kind of sees that the highs and lows, and not to say like, oh, well, you know, this whiskey's different because this was aged in warehouse H and it faced the sun. Versus this one, it was in warehouse A and it was on the middle floor. Okay, that's cool, but it's not going to be this like super stark difference. Like you're going to see some differences, but not nothing that you would get out of different mash bills that come from different distilleries that something like that that we can different parts of the country. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that I feel that I don't know. Maybe we find this interesting. I don't know if if other people would. I think that's the the big question. You know, I think leaning into that a little bit further, though, the thing that's unique about that, I think that everyone who does a tour that gets into that kind of information, well, not everybody, sometimes, if you're lucky, you know, they'll they'll talk about their thing having a slight bit of uniqueness because they're talking about what kind of corn they're using or, or something like that, or, or, or maybe just saying we use Indiana corn versus, you know, Kentucky corn or something like that. You know, in your all's particular case, you're dealing with not only different distillates from different places, 
but they have ingredients from different places too. And maybe something that could lean into that. Maybe something that's like, you might not be able to tell this from what you're tasting in the product, but you're dealing with corns and you having visuals, you know, we're, we're tasting stuff that's made with this kind of corn and this kind of corn and that kind of corn. So it's, it's a lot more loaded of a, of a product in this blend that we call pursuit than you might think. It's not just corn. It's, you know, it comes from a multitude and not a, not everywhere. It's like that. And, and Kenny kind of leaning into what you were, you were saying in regards to the further education thing, I think once you get beyond the 101, I don't know if people want a lecture anymore. I think kind of like what Ryan was alluding to, they want a user experience. And so I think that whatever you do in this next phase would have to be a little bit more hands-on or would have to provide something where they're able to, to have a more sensory experience some way for it to, to really give them, again, as we've talked about, a little bit more immersive of an experience. And so I don't know that there's a lot of talking you can do before they start to, to, to be able to put the pieces together themselves, either by seeing something tangibly or tasting things that, that kind of break it down a little bit more than just your general tasting. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. One point is, it, it's funny you talk about the corn. So Chad uh, McCoy, who's a state representative, he's really trying to push for, very similar to how wine has different regions, you know, say it's Napa wine, Sonoma, this and that. They want to say, like, regions of corn. So, like, Indiana corn, Bardstown corn, this or that, because a lot of people have, you know, they can take for, you know, in Indiana rye is a perfect example. They're, t- you know, bottling Indiana rye in Pennsylvania, you know, but calling it a Pennsylvania bourbon or Pennsylvania whiskey, but it's Indiana this. But, you know, really kind of making the, the grains follow you to like, I guess, legitimize your, you know, your labels or whatnot. Because what ha- was happening, they would find brands, you know, it'd say like this, this Kentucky straight bourbon, you know, it's like made in California, but Kentucky's, you know, Kentucky's the focus. And they're like, well, wait a minute. You know, it's not, I mean, we make it here, but it's, you know, out in California and whatnot, but that's a side point. The the fascinating thing when, you know, I would go through tours and they would pass like the research lab and you see people in there like with beakers and, you know, 200 mLs and they're pulling samples and this and that. And you're like, what's going on there? Cause you, then you start to realize, well, the master distiller is not out there, you know, they even barrels, putting them in a bottle, you know, and putting them on a shelf, you know, there's this whole team and like of R and D and sensory that really helps make the brands what they are and the flavor profiles. And I think that's, what's fascinating to me. And I think people would find that interesting as well too. I struggle with this one a little bit because <laughs> it, it kind of like, you know, you want to go play scientist for a day. You want to go slap on, you know, put on a lab coat and, and start, you know, playing with test tubes and, and pipettes, but it's, it seems fun to a degree, but that's also inviting. I'm, and I'm looking at this strictly from an efficiency perspective. You're, you're inviting yourself to a load of, uh, wasteful time per se. It's like, how, how often, like, how can you leave somebody alone in a lab, either unsupervised or, supervised and let them play around until they find something it like you have to figure out how to structure that some way because you've got to 
and from a, a tourism perspective, like you can't have this last for more than an hour, maybe an hour and a half max tops, but you've got to figure out a way. How do you either guide them through this experience and figure out exactly how do they build their own flavor profile? How do they do this at the very end? And then if they do find that flavor profile, okay, then what? Do you figure out how to bottle it after that? And then then you got to take the ratios and go and figure out. I, I look at that as, and this is honestly, this is what Barrels and Billets does. This is that new experience that's over there by the uh, the Louisville Slugger Museum. And I've, I've looked at it and I just, I look at that and I was like, gosh, this seems... This seems like from an operational perspective, very difficult to do. Maybe from a consumer perspective, it's fun. But here's also the thing to learn too, is that Ryan, you're the one that's kind of dialed in a lot of our blending. This isn't something that you did with, you know, just spending 30 or 45 minutes hanging out <laughs> in a in a fake lab, you know, kind of mixing stuff until you had some fun. I mean, this took a couple of years to kind of figure this out. And I don't feel that anybody can come in and feel that they can leave and feel productive afterwards. Instead, this is why we always talk about on Bourbon Pursuit that if you want to get into us, the easiest way to start is do it with the own bottles that you have at your house and and come up, start mixing stuff until you find something that you like. However, that's also kind of difficult at times too, because you don't know what you're aiming for at the end of the day either. You're just kind of you know, adding stuff together and figuring out, okay, does this taste any good? And you don't really have anybody to kind of coach you there. So I don't know. I, I kind of look at that just from an efficiency perspective. It might be really tough to pull off. I understand that. And I, I probably do agree with that. I do think people will find it fascinating to taste the different mash pills and this and that and see how they work independently, how they work together. But if you can also tie it into like thieving out of barrels, like people love that. I still love it. It's it's fun. You know, I don't know why like sticking a big metal straw in a barrel is like so cool, but it is, it's like, Oh, you see that Amber stuff come out of there, you know, in your glass and you're like, ah, I spilled some, but that's okay. You know, people just love thieving barrels. So it's like, I feel like you gotta have that. Uh, I feel like that's gotta be a must in any visitor experience. I think there is, there's definitely something. Well, that at is, least an option, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, there's, it, we go on barrel picks all the time, Ryan, and and so, as soon as somebody says, would you like to thieve a barrel, what's your go-to line? It's life-changing. It's like being baptized. There you go. <laughs> and so, it's, yeah, all of a sudden, the you know, the, the clouds part, and all of a sudden, you see this beam of light. However, White I, dove flies down. Yeah. And, and you do get that kind of good, sort of raw, native experience when you do something like that. Here's And here's like where I'm still trying to figure out what's the right way to do it. And so maybe we need to go on one of these tours and figure out exactly how they do it. Because you go to Heaven Hill and I've seen Michter's, I've seen exactly what you do. You go and get with their empty bottles and you put it on a shelf and you pull a lever. And that lever is, I'm assuming, coming out of some tote that is just vacuum pumping it into the bottle and then it's it's there, right? So it's a very basic sort of fill your own kind of bottle experience. However, it's it's, it's like clear. doing a it's like doing frozen yogurt, froyo at <laughs> uh, orange leaf, you know. <laughs> Except no toppings on this. No top yeah. But it's a very efficient and clean process, might I mean. You know, it's a very clean process. Like you don't have to worry about anything happening to it. You don't have to worry about anything coming into it versus, you know, one thing we probably need to go experience and, and see for ourselves is what happens over at Three Boys Distillery because I know they have a fill your own bottle experience where you're literally thieving out of the barrel and putting into a bottle. And the only reason I, I kind of have this sort of 
like hold up on it or like sort of what's going on here. We've thieved many a barrel in our life. And, and once you thieve a barrel, just a little bit, what, what happens to your glass? You get these little black floaties that start happening in there, right? For us whiskey geeks, we love that. It's just, it's the char that's just floating around in the barrel. We know that you can, you can bite on it. You can chew it. You can consume it. Nothing happens. Just a little, little bit extra. It's like, um, it's like pop rocks, right? Just get a little bit extra in there. But from a, an un, you know, an unaware consumer or somebody that has no idea what's going on, like, well, do we need to figure out how we filter this before we put it into a bottle um, and to make sure that it's a, a clean experience? Like, that's that's the only thing is I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, what's the what's the the good middle ground there to make sure that you know, when you're when you're filling your bottle, there's not just like a you know a quarter inch of black soot at the bottom of it. I think if you want clean, you buy the ones that are already bottled. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> Don't overthink this now. <laughs> I mean, it is a raw experience at the end of the day, and maybe that's just what it is. Is like you've got a I I don't know. I think that's a that's a tough one, and it'd be interesting to kind of know any listeners. Like, would you care if there's black floaties in there or do you think that's cool? I mean, I know that sometimes you can get like a bottle of George T. Stag and you can sort of see, uh, you know, a lot of the, 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 the fine, fine, really, really fine uh, charcoal pieces still kind of floating. If you like definitely like give it a swirl, kind of like a tornado in the bottle, you can kind of see that uh, still in there. Well, Brian, I want to ask you, I mean, what do you think? Like, what, do you, is there a happy ground in the middle there that to say that? something super clean because you filled your own bottle before at one of these experiences you've thieved a barrel before but how do you meet that in the middle yeah th- i mean it's it's tricky to me i i feel like honestly i feel like just by law so, for some reason i feel like you would have to have it go through some sort of procedure to be okay to send with somebody and it not i, I like thieving from a barrel too and i wouldn't mind putting it in a bottle for an ongoing experience i feel like to, to feel super legitimate, it, it's got to, I feel like it's got to feel super legitimate, which means it just feels a little too uh, outlawish if you just, a little bit too moonshiny. If you're just thieving from a barrel and take it in your bottle and you, you, hey, TSA, don't, don't, don't worry. This is fine. Okay. What if, what if it wasn't a full bottle? What if it was a, maybe a, a, a hundred or 200 ml, let's say 200 ml. That's a, that's yeah, a pretty decent that. size. If you did a 200 ml and you mm, thieved it. I think it, you at least got to do a 375. You think? Yeah. 200 ml is hey, tiny. 375s are all the rage. That's a good call. Okay. I mean, I think 375 is a good, good middle ground because you know how, how long it takes to fill a 750 ml anyway. So we're already, oh, we're already shaving time there by doing 375s. Yeah, I like 375s yeah. for that. Finding that middle ground, right? You don't want to be, you know, old mood shiners, but you also don't want it to be a, a very kind of, I don't want to say corporate type of process where you just feel like you lose some of that organic and raw nature of it, but you just got to find that happy middle. Just put a coffee filter over your bottle and just <laughs> leave it in there. <laughs> that looks, yeah, that, yeah, that doesn't scream. We're, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> So you want a K cup of bourbon? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're you got some good ideas flowing right there. Whereas, whereas, what I'm thinking about is the pour over coffee. You know, that's what I want. I want you just put some oak chips know. and some grains and some vodka in a pod, and you just quickly add water to it, 
Instant burp. I think you're on something there. The bar vista. Well, yeah, just thinking of like the things like, because just talking about those chips, man, alive. I, how many times have we been to a distillery or a gift shop and people are just, they sell smoking chips, like just from old barrel and they just got the, the barrel char in there. And there's all kinds of random stuff that people buy, but heck, it's uh go ahead and add it to the retail. It's another skew. Do you think like having a a bar with cocktails is necessary or do you just focus on, you know, a core expression? Because I do like, you know, going to, you know, and being able to try different things like at Bardstown Bourbon Company or, you know, Willits or something. But I understand that you you, you kind of want to focus on your stuff too. I don't know if we need to go full bar. I think full bar is too much. I feel that there is a a better way to kind of get people oriented with the core expressions. And I I know we've kind of, you know, thrown some other ideas against the wall. And I really still am going back to this idea of like a, a beer garden type of concept where you have, you know, you've got nine different things on tap and, you know, you just want to fly to four of them. You just want to try different things. I think that's a pretty cool idea and experience. It doesn't need to be a whole full-blown tour, somebody guiding you, anything like that. But I think this is where we shine as well, is that if you can do maybe like two batch cocktails, super easy. One, we know, Barrel-Aged Manhattan, done. Like, that's an easy one. Starley, no. And then you have something else that we can batch that doesn't require you know, a, a full-time bartender to be on staff that, you know, you have to sit there and, you know, they've, I, I just don't think that we would be able to, you wouldn't need something like that. But if you have somebody that's just capable of pouring something and telling a little bit about the background of it, that might be enough. And and not necessarily getting into the the entire bar aspect because a, a whole bar to make that a, a profitable or make that a sustainable business, you're going to need patrons in there all the time, unless you're going to be open at night too, which I didn't plan on working Friday or Saturday nights anytime soon. Yeah. Cecil's out on that. Brian though, he's in. (laughs) Brian's the bartender. You just (laughs) signed up for it. He's the barista by day, bartender at night. To kind of think about this for a second to say, if, if, if we had a, if we had a bar, I mean, Will, it's a great example of this. And I know that there's a lot of other places that are kind of following along with this. If you had just had a bar with a bunch of different single barrels, just random things that we've had and stuff that's available for sale, and you make it relatively inexpensive to try before you buy, $5 for an ounce. It's uh, $18 for a flight of four. You get your $2 off or something like that. I think that's a really easy way to just get people introduced to the spirit at a very relatively low cost that doesn't necessarily make them need to go and do a tour, but instead they could be there for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 45 minutes, however long they wanted to be, and they could enjoy their time there without having to necessarily feel like they're being pandered to or having to be like, all right, next we're going to go through this one and go ahead and nose it. It has these kind of you know, thing. Like, I mean, I think that's something that there's an opportunity to make that a more laid back, not so much a, a catered experience, but instead it is something that a, you know, somebody can come in off the street and, you know, there's no reservations. They can just kind of like pull up a seat and, and, you know, order whatever they want. And maybe it's a new single barrel that went on sale today. Maybe it's a, another 
toasted oak expression that we got up our sleeve. Maybe it's something else. I think there's a lot of cool things that you could do just from that perspective that doesn't need the the full bar experience because uh, I don't know if we're going to be back there shaking egg whites to make the perfect New York sour. With liquid nitrogen. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we figure out how to make the, the perfect $5 old fashioned. I think that's where it's at right there. Take on uh, the Hot Horse Saloon. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's merits to having both of those. I think there's people who want to have both of those kind of as a as a contrary point. And again, I know if people are coming into the, the bourbon trail, they're coming in distilleries, they want to drink. And I know they probably want to eat. However, I just say this from experience, like traveling to other cities, not for bourbon specifically and not for wine. But if my list of things to do only consists of drinking and eating, once you get done with one thing, there's it's sort of difficult to continue to do that all day long. And so one thing I find interesting is that a lot of these places now, probably because you can schedule multiple days, different times of days. If one is full, you can make a reservation for the other. I understand if you want to get the the people to spend more time on your property, you can do so with having a bar, with having restaurant experiences. But I'm just, I'm curious to see where things go from here with the visitor experience that isn't just food and drinking. How can you experience, you know, and even what you talked about from the very, very beginning, you were talking about, you know, some of these heritage places, they get the history down and people want to come and they want to get the history but then it sounded like what you're what you're wanting to see them do now is to give you some sort of experience that is a, a tangent from the brand. It's it's this is an extension of what you can do because we were a brand or is a yeah. bar that showcases how you can experience our spirits in these ways. The food is where it starts to get a little bit different and. I think we're going to continue to see it get even more different. And I think that's like, that's kind of where my headspace is right now. I'm fine having these kind of conversations and thinking about what kind of bar experience somebody wants, what kind of flight they might get. But outside of the box, I'm just wondering when the bars and the restaurants become the same thing as the tours you're talking about. It's just not enough. Or on the side point is what makes it like, the bar will it, at least for me, I every time I'm in Barchon, I got to go there. So on the contrary, like, how do you make something that's just so desirable that you keep people coming back regardless of whether they've done it before? So two opposite sides of that. I've got this figured out. Guys, we, you can stop here because I drive by it a few times a week. My kid, we've been upset that they haven't been open yet since COVID started. And that's and they're they're vacant right now. And we can buy it, we can start it there. Is that you have a bourbon destination plus laser tag. I've I mean, thinking think about the it. laser tag. Laser tag. I mean, think about it. Hell, I mean, you, you know, you, the old laser blaze right there, it's just waiting for us to go in and swoop it up. It's got that plus it's got putt putt. Dude, people love putt putt. You think about it, get a few drinks and play some putt putt. It's got everything there. I yeah, Malibu putt, Jack putt. Daniels. This is the concept we're missing here. <laughs> Malibu Jack, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one advantage the rural distiller- distilleries will have over the city is they'll have the space to 
offer something unique. We Kenny and I went to Hard Truth up in you know in Indiana, and hell, they do four wheeler rides. They got an amphitheater, you know, to watch live music. You see that with Log Still, they're gonna have train rides and you know bread and breakfasts like all these little cool things you can do that you can't do in an urban setting. So that's you're kind of I think that's the problem with an urban. You're kind of limited due to just spatial, you know, restrictions. Yeah, I don't know. You put a movie theater in there or something? I don't know. <laughs> As we've seen already, movie theaters aren't necessarily doing the best. So I, I wouldn't think we'd go ahead and, and add that to it. But I'm I'm still on game with Putt-Putt over here. Nobody, everybody likes a good game of Putt-Putt. I, there's still right, golf simulator. Two. Golf simulator? I, I don't know. I think people like, you know, I've been dying for a lounge, just like a cool lounge area you know you can just go sit watch sports you know this and that like if you want to get a drink i don't know well they had that with already but you got to be a member exactly yeah i I know it's um i don't know there lots to think about you know a bowling alley be cool but that's already taken with (laughs) (laughs) vermin which was kind of interesting as we started talking about this we were approached god what what was it it had been middle pandemic before the pandemic pre-2019 yeah 2019 yeah i mean we had the opportunity to actually go and look at there's a place called vernon lanes around here ryan's buddy was uh in the commercial real estate game for a little bit and had that property and we were looking at it for just a a bourbon pursuit headquarters and potentially a a pursuit spirits thing but not near the extent of what we were thinking but it was uh the the bottom floor was a bowling alley and it would have been kind of cool to be like, hey, we've got got this and a bowling alley, but yeah, it's not the most optimal recording environment either. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> we could merge with the axe throwing people or something. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> those are those things that never mix. I know we've been to them a few times. They're like, leave your drinks outside. There's no drinks beyond this point. But I mean, in Austin, they have those like video game bars too that are pretty cool. A lot of good ideas. I'd love to hear some feedback and comments of what people, what do they like from every existing visitor experience and what they think might be a good addition, you know, to if you were to create your own visitor experience, what would you do? Yeah. We definitely talked a lot on this. Must be our longest episode yet, but there was a lot of lot of brainstorming happening. Yeah, and it and it kind of weaved one way or another. I don't think it really circled around anything specific, but you know, talking about that all, I think is mainly the point of it. But yeah, to reiterate what Ryan said, we'd love to hear from you guys. Podcast at pursuitspirits.com. Let us know what have been some of your favorite visitor experiences. What do you think would make for a really cool visitor experience that you're not seeing? Or what are some things that that you wish some of the distilleries did differently or that that you'd like to see happen? We'd love to hear about it. Podcast at PursuitSpirits.com. Again, as always, gentlemen, thanks for tonight's episode. Thanks for let's getting a little break with everything that's going on behind the biz during a busy week for us. Ryan, thanks for staying awake with us. I know it's been a long day. <laughs> I had to make sure it was good before we dumped 24,000 bottles of this stuff. Well, was it? (laughs) It was great. Yes, very happy. So, all is well. Can't wait to get it in the hands of everybody now. From the horse's mouth. Back-to-back barley corn winners. (laughs) Two horses' mouth. That's right. Or one one horse's mouth, the other's ass. (laughs) Whatever it is. That's right. Guys, as always, thanks for tuning into the podcast. We look forward to chatting with you guys. We'll see you next time on Behind the Pursuit.